President Obama's signing last month of the Agriculture Act of 2014, better known as the Farm Bill, capped four years of bitter congressional debate over farming subsidies and food stamp funding. The nearly 1,000-page law replaces direct crop payments with an insurance program and trims $8 billion in nutrition assistance over 10 years. So with that out of the way, farmers and regulators can, at least for a while, wash their hands of all legislative disputes, right? No way. This session, Hoosier lawmakers are fighting over a long list of measures that could shape Indiana's agricultural operations and environmental regulations for years to come. Here to give us a taste of that debate are Republican Representative David Wilkins of Warsaw, Chairman of the House Environmental Affairs Committee and Vice Chair of the House Select Committee on Government Reduction, Democratic Representative Matt Pierce of Bloomington, a member of the House Environmental Affairs Committee and the House Utilities and Energy Committee, Justin Schneider, Senior Policy Advisor and Counsel for the Indiana Farm Bureau, and Jesse Carbonda, Executive Director of the Hoosier Environmental Council. And I thank you all for being here. I wore green in keeping with our theme today. <laughs> Dave Wilkins, let's start with you. By, by almost any measure, American farming is doing quite well. I saw the numbers for last year for calendar 2013. Uh, Farm profits in the U.S. exceeded $130 billion, up almost 50% from five years earlier. And yet, here in the state house and in other states, we see measures that seem designed to prop up or protect the industry that's doing quite well. Why, why the, uh, the need to, to bolster something that, by all accounts, is doing well? I wouldn't say it's prop up, but it is to protect the, agency, uh, protect the uh, farming operations and so forth. Uh, HSUS, the... Uh, uh, Animal rights groups are have have a pretty good program throughout the U.S. and and there are a number of issues that they are pushing very hard and and we would like to protect our agricultural industry here in Indiana. It's been very good to us. They're in a in a, a positive cycle right now, and we'd like to continue that. Is it at risk right now? Do you think, Matt Pierce? Well, I, I've never quite figured out the concern. It seems like there are all these conspiracy um, theories about these national groups that are going to somehow swoop in Indiana, convince the General Assembly to do things that um, get hunters and fishermen and farmers. And I just think that the threat is really not there. And there are legitimate environmental impacts of all kinds of industries, including agriculture, that you have to consider and think about. Farm Bureau, no, you know, you deal with this uh, even after these gentlemen go home at the end of the this, this session. Of course, this is your, uh, your day job, as it were. The face of farming in Indiana, it, it means different things to different people. Uh, I was surprised, and if I saw this statistic correctly, there are still 49,000 small family farms in, in Indiana. Does that, uh, which, which maybe suggests that the vision that a lot of people have as they drive down highways and see the large uh, mega farms, call them what you will, uh, are now the dominant thing. Does that make it tough for you and Farm Bureau because you're dealing with two constituencies, uh, the small, traditional small farmer and, and the large agricultural commercial operation? It, we, as an organization, support farms of all size and all character, and so there, you know, there are times when it can be difficult to try to uh, find common ground between all of those interests. But we work really hard to reach consensus on that and work with our members. And, and really, you, you're seeing a trend of a lot more small farms coming into play. Large farms are continuing to get bigger, and really, the farms in the middle, the ones that have historically been the bulk of the number, they're they're disappearing. And so they're going out of business, and that's really where the concern comes in. It's the things that are going on, the regulations and, and the cost of trying to implement things are really impacting that group the most. And so it's trying to find balance to, to protect that um, sector of agriculture and try to protect it. Well, Jesse Carbonda, are you, are you a conspirator, or are you picking on the, these uh, 
mid-level uh, farms that are uh, uh, currently <coughs> struggling under, under regulation? No, we're, we're actually reacting in particular to a, a, a piece of legislation called SB 186, which is sometimes known as the Right to Farm Act. And what concerns us is that there is a certain type of environmental behavior of a, a subset of these industrial livestock operations known as CAFOs. There are more than 3,000 in this state. There are several thousand more that are not regulated by the state. And we're concerned about folks who live downwind from these in terms of the uncontrolled em emissions from feces, fields, lagoons, um, from the um, type of pollution that comes out of these um, unlined and uncapped uh, lagoons. And SB 186 would, in, in our view, make the situation worse because um, it would effectively bar um, us from moving forward on, on certain types of protective safeguards, say, um, we wanted to put some caps on these lagoons. It would make it a lot harder to do so because this law effectively gives, um, uh, compels legislators and other regulators, regulators to construe Indiana Code in such a way as to protect um, prevailing practices. And, and that's a great concern for folks who want to continue to improve the environment. And when you say if we wanted to cap these lagoons, this is, uh, these are regulators, state-level re regulators, uh, correct. This it would not apply would it, to legislators. Legislators could still enact any statute uh, that they wanted. Well, no. This th this would cons really uh, pertain to a wholesale um, interpretation of the Indiana Code on mass, as in terms of litigation, the judges would be yes, both uh, in terms of litigation as as well as policymakers. And that that was my concern about the bill is when it when it's basically ordering. I think more to the courts. It's saying all these statutes need to be construed in favor of prevailing agricultural practices and um, new technologies, and you have no idea what those are. And so my concern was, if you had a regulatory agency or even a legislature passing another statute, now you've got to, someone will challenge that, and you have a court has to figure this out, because they're saying, well, on one hand, the legislature passed this law, or a regulation was enacted by an agency, but on the other hand, you're telling us to construe all of the laws and what the government does in a way that basically protects a practice that might be um, kind of a prevailing accepted practice or something that's newer technology. We have no idea what that newer technology might be. Dave Wilkins, overreach, or is it uh, a fair I don't way think to, to keep uh, litigation out of the hair of, of uh, farmers across the state? I don't think it's overreach yet, but that, that's what we're attempting to pre uh, prevent from, ha from happening. Uh, the, you talk about the new technologies, and, and most of your CAFOs, they are using the, the, the technology. And this is the only industry where, I mean, any other industry, we want technology in there and so forth. And, and in, the, in the CAFO area, uh, the new technologies, it's on volume. There's no question about it to make it. And so uh, I, don't think, I don't think there's been overreach so far, but we're simply trying to prevent that from happening because the general mindset, in my view of the environmental community, is they want to regulate just about everything. And... Uh, uh, I would just assume they not go too far. And Justin, uh, Farm Bureau, I'm guessing, would, would be uh, completely behind this bill and, and see it as a wise move. Yeah, we're supportive of the effort. Um, I think one of the things that we've seen over time is as people have moved away from the farm, as they are not familiar with what goes on in agriculture, there's, there's a view of what it should look like versus what it's grown into. And even with some of the new smaller farms and the things they're doing or trying to still utilize an old technology in some practices, there's still lots of questions that come from folks who are just removed from the farm. They don't understand what agriculture is and what, what needs to go on in order for it to work. We're concerned about the environment. We work closely with the Department of Environmental Management, with EPA. We're trying to find ways for farmers to 
reduce their footprint, to make sure that we don't have spills from livestock operations. I'm not concerned that this language is going to keep IDEM from putting regulations in place. You know, we've been working with them to address air issues. Um, we continue to work with them on livestock issues. The fact is, Indiana has some of the strictest regulations for livestock operations in the country. We regulate uh, smaller size operations than uh, EPA requires. We represent, regulate smaller operations in pretty much every other state. We have stringent, stringent standards. And when those rules were updated, agriculture was there asking for some of the more stringent provisions to be put in place to make sure that we were correcting some problems that had crept up with, with a few farms. And so we don't want to see problems. Uh, well, we, and John, we take, a, we take a different view on that. I mean, one is University of Missouri has done a great job in kind of consolidating setback distances between uh, CAFOs and, say, water bodies. And our state, vis-a-vis uh, -vis a lot of Midwestern states, lags behind others, even Kentucky, which I know is often made as a point of reference. The other thing is if you were to look in rural areas, um, it's quite possible that these confined animal feeding operations are the largest source of uncontrolled air emissions in, in the community. And then if you look at data produced by IDEM, you'll find that <clears throat> by far the largest source of impairment of our waterways is um, bacterial contamination as measured by E. coli. And uh, these large-scale factory farm operations, or, or CAFOs, uh, nationally produce more than three times as much manure as, as humans do. So this is an issue, this isn't about <coughs> creating onerous regulation, this is about making sure that we're protecting um, human health equally across the state. I think we have two sides of the, uh, the coin here uh, addressed. It's, uh, uh, this is going to happen though. Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned Dave Wilkins when I asked if this was an overreach, he said we're trying to prevent it from being an overreach, but, but this bill is... Uh, it's either on the governor's desk or about to be, right? Yes. So it, this will happen. It will happen. Yeah. So where does the where does the, the the working come in that you were alluding to that keep it from being an overreach? Well, I, I, I'm not. I was not speaking specifically about the capo because I, I I don't think a problem there. But we've we've had overreach in the past. Uh, I, I have a bill 1143, which basically was going to. Uh, you guys are providing wonderful segues here. So well, that was going to be. <laughs> uh, which simply said that the. Uh, rules adopted by the Environmental Rules Board here in Indiana can be no more stringent than the federal rules. And, and I go back to the example, I still remember it back in the late 90s or early, early 2000s, where we had an Indiana regulator that proposed uh, for an air permit, you had to have, you had to test 60 different substances. The federal standard was six, and it still is six. And that costs a lot of money. That would have cost jobs. That would have cost industry tremendous. And we don't need to be testing for 60 different substances for, for these permits. And, and that's the type of overreach that I, why I brought House Bill 1143 to have and, support. And John, if Bill, I could uh, comment yeah, to that. Sure. Um, you know, there is this perception among some of our policymakers that, um, you know, of massive federal overreach and so forth, and, and that it's across the board. And the United States uses somewhere between 80 to 140,000 chemicals. Only about 200 of them have been tested. Um, we, we have an obligation to uh, our country and to the state to make sure that we have the best quality of life. That, I think, depends on things like just having a, a grip on what kind of impact these chemicals have on human health. This is a legitimate thing. This is not about hurting business. You know, the heart of our concern about 1143, and Chairman and I have had many conversations about this, is that uh, it does tie the hands of the Indiana Environmental Rules Board, 
And what's, what's troubling about it is this is a board that was created just two years ago by the General Assembly. What's troubling about it is we exalt science, technology, engineering, and math, STEM education with our children, but then when it comes to a board that has that kind of technical background to create environmental policy, we want to tie their hands from protecting the public beyond what the feds do. That, that does not seem sound. Well, Justin Schneider, if, if farmers are making money now, and again, I'm not saying every farmer is raking it in the way that these national figures suggested, some I'm sure are struggling, but if they're making money and they're dealing with these 60 uh, air substance tests as opposed to the sick, and they're making money, what's the problem? Well, I think the issue is when, when you look at the big picture, you know, regulations that work in industry generally don't work on the farm. It's, it's not a smokestack. It's not a pipe. It's a completely different mindset. The government hasn't been able to get away from the smokestack pipe sort of regulatory mentality. And that, that can make it really difficult to try to put those sorts of regulations on place in a farm. Uh, what we're really looking at is trying to find ways to you know, have, have education and improvement, voluntary programs in order to help people step up, bring the new technology to the forefront to, to get people there. Uh, regulation in and of itself is not a bad thing as long as it's well thought out and reasoned. I think the, the beauty really behind what Representative Wilkins was doing with the No More Stringent discussion is that it was putting the policy discussion in the General Assembly. So all the information that's coming in, whatever we're hearing from EPA, whatever groups want to do, we could have the discussion at the General Assembly. If the General Assembly tells IDEM, make the rule more stringent, or the Environmental Rule Board, they're going to do it. That's what they've done with the confined feeding operations. Nothing would limit, yeah. I mean, obviously that's their law, they can change it in yeah. and uh, uh, change it at any point. You, have, sure. you represent farmers, your district, in addition to the great they're, institution they're that is Indiana like University, uh, <laughs> and there are people growing things down there, some of them legal crops. Uh, I mean, what do you say to the, they want to make money, they're trying to uh, put a, a people, food on people's tables and, and put people through school? Well, look, I don't think you should have overburdensome regulations just for the fun of it. The regulations need to be practical and they need to address real concerns, and that's what you have debates about. My concern is that if you take all these um, regulatory issues and you just put them in the legislature, the legislature is inherently a political process. It's kind of about who has the influence and the power. Occasionally the facts will matter. Occasionally you can change someone's mind with the power of your arguments, but mostly it's a lot of who's lining up with who as far as whose ox is getting gored. So Why wouldn't the Environmental Rules Board be subject to the same politics? Because in the regulatory process you actually have administrative rules and you have standards, and so you have to develop a record. You have to have an open public comment period where everybody, including the regulated community, can comment, and you go through that process, and then the regulator has to justify what they're doing, and if you think they've been arbitrary and capricious, which are fancy you know, legal rules for basically not having a good reason for what they're doing, then you can go to the courts, and the courts have the ability to, to look at it. And the point is you're all focusing on what are the facts, what's the record, is the regulation you know, kind of rational for what the problem is they're trying to solve. And when you get in the legislature, it's a little bit more of a free-for-all, and a lot of times the facts kind of get lost in the arguments. You know, Dave Wilkins, you've been advocating this uh, kind of initiative, the, the rollback, if you will, of, of regulation for 20 years. Yes. Uh, it got a hearing uh, in the Senate, uh, but no vote. And, and there's, the committee is not in a position to vote on it now, so it's, right. it's effectively dead for the, the session. Two questions, how disappointed, and two, does that mean we'll be back for 21st year and see you uh, <coughs> promoting the same legislation? Not disappointed. It was a very good hearing, and, and 
a lot of the a lot of the legislators now understand that there are two sides to the issue and so forth. So I wasn't disappointed at all. That that was improvement. And yeah, in all likelihood, we will be back. We're going to attempt to to get clarify some of the misconceptions that are out there. I mean, that hearing itself turned into a, basically a capo bill, and this is capo is a very small part of, of what we're doing. Uh, one of the things which which I, I brought up as an example, you know, of overreach, uh, Governor Bayh, which I have tremendous respect for, in his administration, uh, he adopted water quality standards that nobody could meet. So we had big industries in Indiana, several hundred of them, that, that could not meet their permits. So every year, IDEM would simply, or the administration would simply administratively extend those permits because there was no technology, nothing available that could even meet the standards. Uh, Politically, we were able to go out and say, hey, we got the toughest water standards in, 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 in the country, but nobody could meet them, and, and that's a tight situation. As far as the General Assembly, we're not going to be in the business of, of setting rules. These people, we're going to listen to them, but if there is a case where they need to go more, their, their focus is on the rules. Our focus is on the overall. How is that going to affect? Uh, we're going we're to have a real problem with, with some of the air emissions uh, standards that are going to come out and going to shut our power plants down. And, and how does that, we have to look at how, how this affects people. If you don't have electricity, you don't have heat, I mean, it, it could be very, very bad. It could be disastrous, uh, especially if our electric rates go up as much as what they intend them to do. You know, you talk about the impact, financial and regulatory, on, on big industry and utilities, and that leads me to another uh, bill that uh, has gotten a fair amount of attention, uh, certainly this session, and that is the attempt, well, it, again, it's, it's more than an attempt, I think it's uh, likely to occur, to do away with, really, uh, a two-year-old program, Energizing Indiana, uh, energy efficiency program that funded uh, through uh, monthly fees assessed to uh, rate payers, uh, weatherization programs, uh, heating assessments, efficiency assessments. Hate to see that go, I presume. Yeah, it's, it's pretty ironic the, what, what that bill's doing. I mean, uh, when you talk about the environment, it's really inextricably linked with um, energy now. Energy and environment issues are pretty much the same at this point. And the thing that is key is if Indiana would get off of its old doubling down on the old energy and really look at renewable energy and, uh, and do things, efficiency is a very important part of that because essentially it's cheaper to spend money to help people reduce their energy consumption, to make things more efficient. You can do that for like 1.4 cents a kilowatt hour and the Edwardsport plant, we just had the bill the, for Duke Energy, we're going to be paying like 22 cents a kilowatt hour just on their most recent request to make the profit off the plant. So we're not being very smart, both economically and environmentally, by removing that program. And Justin Schneider, is, is with the elimination of this program, which seems likely, be a benefit to farmers? Uh, I imagine they're, they, like everybody else, uh, is affected by the, the assessment that they pay through their rates. Yeah, Glad the, to see it go. Well, the rising energy cost is a concern. When you look at where Indiana is today, where we're projected to be in the next few years, I mean, there's a lot of cause for concern. It's really expensive to, you know, dry grain, for instance, and run your fans in the fall when you're paying high prices. Um, I think overall, though, you know, we're supportive of renewable energy. Uh, we want to see a big portfolio of uh, across the country of, you know, trying to have homegrown energy, you know, supporting ethanol, supporting wind energy. Um, those are good things. We see that as an opportunity to keep the money here and to have positive impacts on the environment. John, I think I think the timing. Someone of, told me of you were going to offer say, yeah, John, a comment. The, John, the, I think the timing of this bill is 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 terrible because a the program only has a year of data behind its back. B energy prices have increased by fifty percent in in the last ten years, which is much more aggressive than other states. C you've got a situation where 
there's a whole toolbox of things that we need to have in our state in order to be an attractive place for investment. Energy efficiency is one of those pieces because it's a way to help uh, businesses manage those costs. And so here we are essentially gutting uh, a, a very successful program that's uh, saved the equivalent of about 64,000 homes uh, worth of, of energy from those 64,000 homes in a, in a given year. Uh, it just seems extremely imprudent. And also, if you consider that this is a great source of job potential in the state. So we're hoping that this will go to conference committee and, and this will be rolled back. And we'll have a program that was advanced after all by conservative Republican Mitch Daniels. Uh, unfortunately, time goes far too fast. We can only scratch the surface here. We didn't even get to talk about alcohol at the state fair and industrial <laughs> hemp. We'll save those. That'll be our extracurricular, uh, I mean the discussion, uh, <laughs> after we finish the taping. I thank you all for being here and sharing your observations and insights. Again, my guests have been Republican Representative David Wilkins of Warsaw, Democratic Representative Matt Pierce of Bloomington, Justin Schneider of the Indiana Farm Bureau, and Jesse Carbonda of the Hoosier Environmental Council.